Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? Welcome to the show. Got a great show planned for you. We're going to spend a lot of the night talk, talking, I guess, about phones. We're going to uh, later jump into uh, texting uh, from a mental health perspective, though, for couples especially, but all relationships, what are the things we should text and not text? And what do we need to consider so as to uh, not create more problems? And then later in the show, we're going to be talking about sexting. So it's a show really focused on phones. What do we need to consider? How do we uh, really flip our perspective on it? And uh, we're also going to talk about a new law. But before we get into that, I thought, hey, let's open the show by just talking about general phone use from the mental health perspective. Um, Often we just impulsively grab for things, not really checking in with what is my core core need here, right? And so um, I noticed that when people are feeling a feeling, sometimes they just grab for their phone, right? As a way to distract, dissociate, discount, minimize. So one of the most powerful things I think we can do is ask ourselves before we grab our phone, what are we feeling? Lonely? Okay. Maybe we should call a friend instead or go talk to someone. What are we feeling? Bored? Okay, is there anything more meaningful we can do? Not that the phone is always bad, but I think it sometimes is used to replace some better coping mechanism, which might actually solve something. And because the phone can't solve a lot of these issues, we, can, we stay on it and, it and it keeps in this repetitive pattern. We feel something, we go to the phone for a solution, it can't provide it, so we stay on longer, keep going back to it. But the phones are only meant to be utilized for certain really basic things. And I see people even doing that with apps. You know, I'm bored, so I'm gonna go on an app. Really, well, it might make your life feel worse or more complicated. Also, pay attention to your screen time. You know, I know iPhones have that on there. How long you been on it that day, that week, that month? Woof, I really believe in setting time aside and saying I can use my phone for that amount of time. I always tell people also one thing at a time. If you're gonna be on your phone, pause the movie or the conversation, be on your phone. When you're done, put it down and come back. We want to stop getting comfortable quickly weaving our phone use right in. I even see people doing therapy sessions, looking over at their phone. It's like, oh my God, you can't even be off it for 45 minutes. Pause. Because often these people aren't actually on the clock. Also, hiding distracting apps. I put things like email three screens back, so I have to actively go look at it. I don't want to be interrupted at other times when maybe I'm responding to something, seeing that a new email came in. Emails can wait. Often emails can wait for hours, but sometimes our apps are too readily available and we immediately see a notification or click on it. Also, get rid of notifications. For most of us, we don't need to know the minute someone's liked something, sent us an email or texted us. Everyone can wait. When I'm in my clinical day, I'm not available for the entire day. I'm focusing on my patients. Whatever else the world needs, I'll get back to it. I'm not, you know what I mean? Like no, very few crises are really happening where we need to be immediately accessible, right? So think about that. Delete some apps. I love that. Some people are like, I'm not even keeping that up on my phone. If I want to go on my Facebook, I'll go on my computer. I'll take the time to pull out my computer, sit down at it, do what I need to do, and then I move back to the rest of my life and focus on all the other things, right? More presence. Because I think we fill up important space with phone use where that space could be used to direct us towards something else, to push us out into the world, to be self-reflective. But we're always filling in any gap. We've gotten really bad at allowing lack or gap, right, or downtime. People are constantly shaming, being lazy. There's no such thing as laziness. You're not interested in something or you're just resting or you're focusing on pleasure or self-care. That's actually an extreme form of mental health in our culture to say, I'm focusing on joy or pleasure or I'm resting, taking the whole day off, doing nothing. Nothing is something. 
it's healing, it's regenerative, it's where creativity emerges, right? Creativity doesn't come from us constantly being busy, busy, go, 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 nor is that resting or nourishing, nor does that give us the ability to be present to the important parts of our life. We're already burnt out or tired, right? Staying away sometimes from your phone after posting something, not checking it every two seconds. Again, turning off the notifications to not be interrupted. It's a huge one. Leaving your phone in a certain room, saying I'll use it in that room. Awkwardly, I have to stand there, do what I need to do, and it has to stay there, plugged into the wall in the bedroom. Or vice versa, when we're in the bedroom, no phones. It's out in the kitchen. I'll use an alarm clock. Making it more difficult, making it more conscious or strategic when you use it because it's used only in one place where it's plugged in and it's kept there. It's not always with you to be able to be folded in or interrupting whatever else is happening. Leave your phone in the car when you go to dinner, truly. Leave your phone in the bedroom when you're out in the living room. Check it when you need to. Ideally, we would check our phones, what, three times a day max, morning, afternoon, and night? Remember, there was a time when people couldn't reach us unless they could call us. And if someone was on the phone or they weren't home, you couldn't get to them. Someone was out shopping, they weren't reachable for the afternoon. We got by for decades, for centuries without it. You don't need to be readily available and accessible. And certainly not using it before bed. That's a big one we've talked a lot about. Really winding down, turning that off. I'm not available on my phone after something like 7 p.m. Anyone texting or emailing after 7 p.m. will get responded to the next day. I'm done. That's me time. That is for me and my relationship, you know, me and some select friends and um, or just myself. I'm not constantly letting myself get interrupted by other people's needs. It's an unhealthy, it's an it's a healthy part of self-care, but also just general mental health, you know? We got to get better at that and training the world that they can wait a few hours or whatnot before they get a hold of us. People really expect immediacy. Uh, but like I said, coming up next, we're going to talk about texting and how to make sure it has a healthy role in your life. Then we'll be gliding into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop it in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and uh, past episodes of Loveline. Always over at wearechannelq.com. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. We'll be back. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, we are back. And uh, kind of, I was pretty stoked about doing this topic. I think uh, more and more, every session I'm having with couples or individuals, I got to tell you, cell phones and technology brought in all the time. I, I really, really, really do think that we need to talk more about the impact that cell phone use and availability and accessibility to technology has on our relationships. And we have to start really talking about, well, what, what kind of rules and expectations should we put on ourselves and others around their use? So we're gonna spend a lot of the night talking about um, texting. And then later in the second hour, uh, when things get a little more adult and put the kitties away, uh, later in the show we'll be talking about sexting. So right now we're gonna talk about texting and then we'll be swooping in later about sexting. So much to learn about both. Um, and it's very much a mental health issue. So let's talk about it for a second. Um, I, I am constantly in shock and I don't know why at what I hear individuals and couples sharing that they'll allow to uh, be said or take place over the cell phone. So I want to start by just reminding you, uh, your phone, okay, especially texting, we're going to really zero in on the texting part. Uh, it's supposed to be for check-ins and the delivery of minor, right, and simple uh, statements and communications, right? We have to be very thoughtful about, about what will allow to take place over text. And this is, again, from a mental health perspective. Um, I think we've allowed ourselves to have not the best boundaries or impulse control. 
And very much culturally, they like to just get to it, get it done. Again, I've used this example before that uh, people say, never go to bed angry, finish it, work it out. No, that often is a horrible thing. If we are dysregulated or amplifying everything, we pause, we go to bed, we take a break, we come back to it. That's not ignoring it. That's not sweeping it under the rug. That's not stonewalling. That's a healthy part of communication, self-regulation, and healthy interactions is saying, this is gotten out of control and we'll come back to it. But texting allows us to just get it out there and then we often resent or you know regret what was said. Um, something magical that I see in my office where clients can say something very poorly about another, uh, even in front of them, sitting on the couch, doing couples therapy. And I'll say, great, turn to them, look them in the face and now say it again. And they can't. Because there's something different about what happens in terms of empathy and realization and insight and consciousness when we're actually staring at someone we care about making eye contact. That doesn't mean that there aren't times where we aren't angry enough that we'll say it anyway. But my point being, text and email allow you to really objectify, dehumanize, and not acknowledge that there's a person you're sending this to. Because you're sitting in your car, uh, at the gym, on the couch, somewhere where there is not a literal person in front of you to remind you that you're talking to a literal person. And healthy people do take responsibility for how they impact other people and the impact they have on other people's lives. They do, 100%. We don't just say what we need to say. There's nothing more unhealthy than that, that cliche in our culture of, I tell it like it is, I speak the truth, I don't have a filter. Well, shame on you and time to grow up. You do need to be thoughtful about what you say. You should not just say what you're thinking. There is no mental health in just telling it like it is. That is actually the opposite of mental health. Have boundaries, have self-regulation, have empathy, have compassion, which means we keep things to ourselves, which means we deliver things in a soft startup in a very kind way. We are not just saying whatever we want, when we want, how we want. That is a sign of someone who's dangerous and abusive. Most of the things said under that rubric are emotionally abusive and far from okay and acceptable. So yeah, limit your exposure to people like that. And if you are that person where you think it's a sign of strength or power or health to tell it like it is, say what you want and have no filter, you're dangerous. You need to learn regulation and boundaries and you're abusive. That's what I hear when I hear that. You are not safe because someone who's truly in control and empowered is very strategic, thoughtful, and self-aware. And they're very calm in the moment. They're the person who walks away from the fight, not the person who starts it or steps into it. They walk away unless it's an injustice and then you get loud and you speak up. But otherwise, if you're frustrated, disappointed, angry, let down, bummed out, whatever it is, you chill out, you calm down, you're thoughtful about what you say, and you don't start fights or step in, you walk away. The powerful person's one that's like, nah, you're not taking me there. We're not gonna fight. I'll see you later, I'm out, you know? So let's get into it. What are some of the things that we should not do with texting or say over text? The number one thing I tell all my couples, you are not allowed to have serious conversations over text. If you need to talk about something important or serious, you wait until you can get on the phone, FaceTime, or see them in real time. We do not text about serious, important things. Texting is for quick, fun, sharing, checking in, connecting. So number one, we don't put complaints in text messages. Why? Because you cannot hear my voice. You cannot hear my tone. You might misunderstand it. You might misread it. And I don't get to be a part of processing. Texting is not relational. Texting is not for processing. So all complaints are left until we are on the phone at best ideally FaceTiming or in real time. We have to learn how to, how to breathe. You're upset about something, great. Your partner's at work. Don't interrupt them at work with your complaints. Calm down, wait till they lovingly get home, ask them how their day was, and then say I needed to share with you some things that happened that bummed me out or upset me. If it's a level two, your response is a two. If it's a four, your response is a four. But calm down. I guess the other conversation is what you shouldn't do while people are at work or out with their friends. That is not the time for you to fire off that over text or try to get into a serious conversation. So let me add to that. While your partner's at work or out with friends or whatever it is, that's also not the time to be making your complaints. Work on boundaries, some self-regulation, and some impulse control. And when there's a better time, you do that. It's one of the traits I give all couples. When you're on vacation, we're not having serious talks. We wait till we get home. Like We have to learn how to, to put it on pause, to healthily compartmentalize it, coming back to it but we don't do complaints over text. The, the partnered thing that we don't do is we don't insult either. Why? Because as I said, 
most likely you will regret what you said because it's very easy to say things that are harsh or mean when we're looking at a phone and not an actual person. We can dehumanize, we can objectify. We gotta take a little break. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna keep talking about healthy texting in terms of mental health and relationality. And then uh, second part of the show, we'll be doing a little combo about sexting. So uh, yeah, stick around and join us. You're listening to Love Line with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. All right, we're talking about texting from a mental health perspective. Everything should be looked at and discussed through a mental health perspective, right? What are the mental health implications? How does this impact my mental health? So we're saying you don't complain over text. You don't insult over text. Why? It's not a person in front of you. It's easy to be very dehumanizing, objectifying, to really not have good impulse control or boundaries. And we're reminding ourselves that texting is supposed to be a quick way to say, hey, running five minutes late. Hey, thinking about you. Hope your day's going well. Here, look at this funny picture. Or is your afternoon going well? Just let me know how it is. But anything that is serious, heavy, conflictual, crisis, complaint, we wait, we get you on the phone, or we wait till we see you. But we, you know, the texting allows us to fire off things impulsively without really thinking about the impact. And we need to start doing that. Because people are getting hurt. People are saying things they don't mean because they're upset. They can't take it back. It's now in writing. Your partner can't unhear the horrible thing you just said to them right? And we don't just say what we want or what we think. Healthy people don't just speak the truth without a filter telling it like it is. Healthy people are thoughtful and they speak and live relationally, meaning I don't do things that make the people I want to stay and be in different kinds of relationships with feel unsafe around me. I will not be, me, Dr. Chris, will not be in a relationship with anyone of any kind, not a family member, not a friend, not a colleague, not a sex partner, whatever, if someone doesn't have basic compassion, self-care, boundaries, and regulation. I don't think it's safe to have anyone in my life that doesn't know how to regulate, that doesn't know how to speak or live compassionately. I've curated that world. I've let go of toxic people. I'm in a loving relationship with someone who would never, ever, ever imagine saying something mean to me or name calling. We live and lead with love. We don't do that. We never made that normal or acceptable from the door. I have friends, only loving, caring friends. They'll have hard to have conversations with me. They'll let me know when I've let them down or disappointed them. They'll let me know what kind of friend I am. They're honest, but they're also regulated, have boundaries and lead with compassion. And they say things and talk in ways that let me know it's safe to stay, right? Other things we shouldn't say in text, really serious things like maybe apologies. Again, texting is lazy. It's supposed to be. Only use it for lazy things. But if you want someone to really feel good, cared for, connected, you can send off a little thing. I'm thinking about you. Here's a funny picture. But if you need to talk about something serious, see them or get them on the phone. Why? I want you to hear their voice. I want you to see their face. They can hear you. They can really understand your intention. Also, bombshells. We're not dropping bombshells in text either. That is not fair. That is not kind. They can't hear us. They can't see us. They can't fully process some people drop a bombshell and then block someone. That is violent. That is emotionally and psychologically abusive, right? Really think about that. How might you be misusing texting? How might you be using it in an unfair way, an imbalanced way? Things like secrets, you run the risk of someone else looking at their phone or them screenshotting, sending it, forwarding it along, right? Be very, 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 very thoughtful about all of this. Um, telling someone bad news about your health, not the way to do it either. It's very, it's not relational. It's not intimate. It's a false form of transparency, right? You're just kind of dropping it and backing away. It's like dropping a bomb. We, you know, we don't bring up old arguments. We don't complain about people. It's also just basically safety. We don't want that in print. Be very thoughtful about that sending unsolicited photos and our, you know, the second hour of the show, we'll be talking more about sexting. So we'll get specifically into that, but let me just acknowledge that. Be very thoughtful about photos you're sending. Make sure people want to participate in the kind of conversation you're trying to have. Some people will send erotic photos, which then kind of forces the receiver to engage in some form of eroticism with you by seeing it and feeling it and talking about it. So be very thoughtful about that. <clears throat> Ask questions. Is it okay? Do you want to see, do you want to blah, blah, blah. That's meaningful. Now we're gonna land on, before we go to break, one of the more controversial, punchy parts of this. I take a controversial position where there are some people that based on what's capable, what they're capable of and where they currently are at in terms of mental health, they're not able to maybe break up with someone or end a relationship in real time. 
Some people are in abusive relationships and it's not safe to do so. For them, I tell them they're allowed to break up with someone over text. If you're in an abusive relationship with someone who's emotionally abusive, psychologically or physically, you're allowed to end it via text because they're not safe to be seen. They've made it unsafe for you to be able to deliver that to them. You can send it off in a text. Unfortunately, this relationship is abusive. I will be leaving it, wishing you all the best. Please don't contact me again. And then you can block them and move on with your life. I'm okay with that. I'm okay with some people that don't have the confidence to end a relationship even if it wasn't abusive. And I let them also break up with someone over text because it needs to get done. That's actually the most compassionate thing. It needs to get done. They need to move on and the other person needs to be set free. And if my client will not do it in real time, well then texting is the only way we can do it. And we go with it. It's not ideal, but we do it anyway. And the receiver, I don't want them hung up on the method of delivery. Get, let that go. Just zero in on mourning the loss of the relationship being over. Like, let it go. None of this information is for you to use against someone else. It's for you to look at your own behavior and decide that you're going to be better about your phone use. And you will demand better from those around you as well, right? We're always looking at ourselves first with all the topics I bring up. Um, all right, we're gonna take a break. Coming up next, we're going to glide into those DMs. So if you got a DM for us, drop in the DMs on our Loveline IG page and uh, past episodes of Loveline, always over at wearechannelq.com. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. We'll be back. All right, we're back and now it's time to glide into those DMs. Gliding into the DMs. This one says, hey, Dr. Chris, thank you for always putting out a great show every single day. Uh, every single day. I like that qualifier. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You said I'm a single mom, two kids, ages 11 and 8. <clears throat> well done. Parenting is a tough job. Their father passed away three years ago. We're still learning how to get through every day. Yeah, I feel that. I lost my father about that as well. Um, it's difficult. Changes your life. Reorients everything, you know, and... Uh, it gets better, but it always remains, right? We, we learn how to move on and navigate, manage, but it, it's life is different. Things are forever transformed. So I'm sending out some love from that. Uh, your question that you say, I'm starting to feel like I'm ready to meet other people and possibly date again, but I'm afraid to introduce new people or people that are temporary to my family. How will I know when it's time and safe to move on? Oh, such a loving question because you're looking at the impact this has on those around you. Well, part of what I look for is kind of what you said, an actual desire and an interest, you know, and for some people it's quicker, some people it takes longer, but you having that interest and desire is actually a good sign. You know, uh, I know someone's lovingly and healthily moving through grief and loss when some of those interests return. That's a good sign. Um, and I appreciate also how hard it might be to bring or introduce new people. So I kind of want to start off on a um, context that doesn't involve the passing of someone because that can that adds some complexity. In general, I appreciate when someone's single and then they have children and they'll say I don't want to just be bringing in and this is this is not my perspective. This is me quoting others. I don't want my kids to think it's a revolving door of men coming in. Remember, would you introduce them to a casual friend or a new friend? Would you, you know, most people would say, "Well, yeah." And it's like, "Okay, well, why can't we start to show our children that part of dating is dating?" That dating is exploring through going out with different people, the process of figuring out if you're compatible or have chemistry, and then moving into relationship. It's important for kids to see that. You know, just like you might bring over a friend and introduce them, and you don't know that that friend's going to be there again in a couple weeks or month, right? Children aren't harmed by understanding the fluidity of relationality. Children aren't harmed by having the world expanded by meeting interesting, diverse people. If you were out to lunch with your child and your boss came by, they might never see your boss again, but I'm sure you let them meet your boss. I don't think you say, oh, don't come over here. They might never see you again. It might confuse them because you trust that they can understand that people come in and out of our lives, right? It's okay, again, to help them understand the fluidity of people coming in and out. That's part of how it goes. Um, but as far as them meeting someone after their father's passed, I would say knowing that that's something you're interested in starts to slowly have that conversation. You know, that we can both, that we can love more than one person at the same time. And that while someone loves and grieves the loss of someone, they it's important for them to 
keep moving forward in their lives and that people get lonely and that people want partnership and that there's space to both welcome in someone new while still loving, honoring, and spending time with their father because you would still keep photos of their father around. You'd still talk a lot about him. You would still honor his passing as an anniversary, even while with someone new, right? We don't have to replace. We, we expand and welcome in, right? And so start having that conversation with your children that at some point mom is going to re-enter dating. And dating is a process to get to know if you want a relationship with someone. And that doesn't take anything away from their dad or the love you had. Both remains, right? You kind of start to lay that foundation down for you and for them so they can answer questions, right? But again, it's okay to let children see the fluidity of relationality. You know what I mean? But start to lay that foundation down. It's good that you realize that now before you've met someone because then that can create a pressure or, or an immediacy, you know, but start that conversation going, start to familiarize them with that, start to make them feel empowered, start to let them know that they don't have to have a relationship with someone just because you do, you know, that they get to honor where they're at, but that it's okay to hold space for both. You know, it's, it's, there's no perfect answer, you know, and I also kind of want to add that in. It's hard, you know, keep us in the loop though. I like this question. I'd love to be a part of, you know, continuing to kind of dialogue and process that. Um, all right. Well, now, uh, yeah, we're going to get into uh, sexting. We were talking about texting. Now we're going to get into sexting. Yeah, it's important stuff, too. Um, you're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on Channel Q, brought to you by Astroglide. We'll be back. Stick around. Gliding into the DMs is brought to you by Astroglide. All right, we're back and uh, talking about sexting. Earlier in the show, we were talking about texting. Now we're going to talk about sexting. Uh, punchy, controversial thing for some. Others, it's a normative part of life. Uh, it's become integrated into the stages of courtship. Sexting means a multitude of things. Any kind of erotic engagement, sharing, posting, discussing, um, asking, requesting. As always, everything I want to be done within a mental health perspective, always considering consent and compassion. Consent is what someone says yes or no to, but compassion is also considering and looking at the impact on self and other. Even if someone says yes to something, that doesn't mean it's going to have a positive impact or is good. And sex is one of those things, much like dessert, that's supposed to have a positive impact, supposed to bring joy and pleasure into our lives. It should not make our lives more negative, hard, or complex. So really think about that, right? Sex is supposed to be a beneficial thing. Um, all tech will always go sexual. And that's a good thing. And some sexuality and sex-driven products have led to technological advancements, but they always inter intersect. And uh, erotic art has existed since the beginning of time. Cave paintings on pottery, statues. When you really explore how sex relates to art and culture and religion, it, it plays a, a prominent, dominant role in a lot of things. Um, it's quite fascinating. But all tech winds up finding itself into sexuality at some point. And, and it should, right? Sexuality is a meaningful field of study and pursuit of work. And uh, I think we need a better relationship to it for sure. We need skills is what it really is about. The solution isn't removing all the things that make us anxious, fearful, or that we can't manage. Instead, it's about learning how to manage it. We have to learn how to encounter different forms of sexuality. It's not about covering everything up and making sure no one exposes their cleavage or you know see someone. It's about learning how to have boundaries and impulse control. I think part of ending and dismantling rape culture and all the problematic things that have happened is in training people to deal with eroticism and arousal and know that we don't have to do anything about it. Knowing that we can be eroticized or, or, or aroused or turned on and it doesn't have to mean anything. Nothing needs to be done. We can carry that with us. But I think a lot of people don't know how to work with it. And so they act it out. They force it on people. They think it means that something must be done. They're overwhelmed by it. We have to learn how to, how to encounter. It's like cravings around food. It's not about closing the blinds on all dessert shops and bakeries. It's about learning how to walk by and say, is that something I would enjoy? If not, is there a way to you know, incorporate that into my life? It's not about never seeing it or encountering it. We have to learn how to encounter sex. It's healthy. It's a life force. Libidinal energy is about sex. It's about creativity. Uh, we need to understand also privacy and care. We don't understand privacy in our culture. We really do think that because someone's your child or your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or employee, they have a right to just say what you want, do what you want and assert that power and control, but you don't. Your mental health matters, especially if you're in a position of power, right? We have to understand privacy. People get to have privacy, including not going through their phones or looking at their search history. People get to have privacy and boundaries, even with their husband, wife, or their parent and care. 
What's the impact of whatever we're talking about? That's where the care comes in. That's where your mental health is shown, right? But we need to understand those things. We also need to understand intent and impact. What you intended to do or what your intended meaning was is not as important as the impact of your behavior. Excuse me. A lot of people try to get out of having to take accountability or responsibility or apologize because I didn't mean to do it. Great, but you did. Regardless of what your intentions are, if you hurt someone, harm someone, or did something bad or wrong, that's your first priority is to apologize, right? Help heal, help clean that up. And we need to understand consent. And I think talking about things like sexting is a great way to bring that in. If you have a child, you got to be able to talk about these things. It's part of the world now. And it's part of dating. People will expect a little flirtation on the phone or some picture sharing. That is a built-in now part of the courtship process. And as always, when we're talking about these things, I want us to look at it from all sides, right? Because, you know, a lot of times the way we look at it is we problematize the victim. We make an issue of the victim's behavior. Well, you shouldn't have sent that. You shouldn't have worn that. You shouldn't have gone there. You shouldn't have said yes if you thought you might change your mind. That's all victim blaming. It puts no responsibility, right, on the problematic person who did the bad behavior. When we talk about sexting, sharing of erotic material, the issue isn't about the character of the consensual sender. It's the violator, the person who didn't appropriately work with what was sent to them. Instead of slut-shaming the sender, let's look at the violator and try to understand why they did what they did, not blame the person for sending the photo. The question isn't why you send that. The question is, why did you think it was okay to post that, to share that, to show that to someone else, to weaponize that? That's the question, but we often go to the sender. Well, why would you send that? Isn't that fascinating, right? We, we center and, and almost excuse away the violator, but that's what the work has to be about because I don't want us to stop engaging in eroticism, right? I want us to encounter it and deal with it better with more ethics, with more maturity. We have to talk about this. You have to be responsible for the, your friends, how you see your friends utilizing and engaging in this topic, right? We're all responsible for normalizing this. Um, we have to take a quick break and when we come back, we're gonna keep talking about sexting, its role within the world in psychology, but also, um, Really, you know, more meaningful, healthier ways to kind of uh, engage it and talk about it. Uh, yeah, so we'll take a little break. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide. Personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. We'll be right back. All right, we're back. And uh, tonight we're talking about sexting. You know, looking at how um, anytime there's a technological advancement, it shows up in sexuality. Sexuality helps push forward technology. We've learned a lot technologically based on dating apps and sex-seeking apps. Um, and we're just talking about how basically we don't need to get rid of sex, limit it. We need to learn how to better encounter it, how better to manage it, how to deal with being aroused or interested, how to work with that, how to hold it, how to not feel like we have to do anything with it. We have to learn how to encounter sex better. We've also learned how to have more responsibility for what, what we do and what we do with what people might send us ethic of care, more privacy, because again, people will send and flirt over texting. And the issue is what the receiver does. Don't shame the sender, that's normal. Even like the spike in people doing OnlyFans, we are going to have to get more familiar and comfortable and confident in the fact that people are engaging in those things, that that will be part of a lot of people's histories. I'm not gonna shame that, normalize it, that your doctor, your teacher might have had or might currently have an OnlyFans that they might, as an adult, be using, utilize, utilizing their eroticism as a part of their career because their job underpays them, doesn't offer healthcare because they enjoy it, whatever it is. We have to normalize that. That's, a, that's an important part of our world. There's nothing in that to shame. Someone's character is based on how they treat people, not on the kind of work they engage in, like around sex, sex work or not, right? Um, so again, we're not trying to deny, hide, or water down sexuality. That's not health. We're not trying to amputate eroticism. That's what I see when we talked about that high school that was you know, ed uh, editing out and Photoshopping the exposure of cleavage in a very understandable way. Their shirts were just, you know, they were larger breasted or they had a shirt that was a little lower. The work is about hiding that so no one ever has to see that. It's about saying, yes, people have bodies and you'll be turned on or eroticize them, but that doesn't mean you do anything about it. So when we hide it, we don't, we, we miss out on the lesson that can be learned. 
by hiding it, we miss out on teaching anyone who's turned on by that, boys or girls, that that's an acceptable thing is to notice that someone has a body and to be turned on by them. That's life. You have eyeballs. But what you do next is where ethics and care come in. And you talk about that. What do you think or feel when you see that? What do you think the appropriate way to handle or manage that is? We have to teach skills. That's not going away. You can cover up all the cleavages you want in your books, but they're still going to see it out in the world. And they should. We shouldn't be hiding our bodies. We're not trying to go back to Victorian times where we covered everything, including our ankles and wrists, and including even the legs of a chair, because that was seen as too erotic and suggestive. That's not healthy. Sexuality is not a negative thing. We have to learn how to step into it and counter it, right? We're not trying to water it down or hide it. That's shame. Anything we hide is usually rooted in shame. That's very disempowering. What kind of message do we give to people when we say, your body's a threat, your sexuality's a threat? The work is on how people deal with seeing your body. People have to learn how to have impulse control, right? If we're worried about what will boys do if you're wearing a tank top in class, well, then we have some really problematic men that need to learn boundaries and impulse control if they're that threatening to a girl in a tank top. There's work to do. Please have all the girls wear tank tops and have the boys learn how to be focused and control themselves around that. It's, it's wild. It's really wild. Some people think the solution is to just remove sexuality totally. The solution isn't don't send these pictures because some people have no ethics or morals. The solution is be better. Hold your friends and yourself accountable to being better. Let's talk about it. Sexting's part of courtship. What will you do when you receive the photos? How do you know who to send them to? In our next segment, we're going to break that down, like safer sexting, because you do want to be thoughtful and conscious about the impact. But again... We're not blaming the sender, the people that feel confident or okay in that, right? That's bananas. But that's how I'm seeing it. I see so many examples. Teachers being fired because they have an OnlyFans. Girls having their cleavage you know, taken out or you know, Photoshopped out. And yet, it's so gendered because we see guys walking around with no shirts on. Well, I guess we, we put the onus on women or gay men to, ma- to manage and handle themselves. Why can't we do the inverse? Why can't women wear a tank top or crop top and trust that men will learn or, or lesbians will learn how to have boundaries and impulse control or whatever it is, right? It's so gendered. We let guys run around shirtless all the time. We don't worry about their safety, right? We don't, we don't have them, we don't train them to shame their bodies or to feel as though they're responsible for the lack thereof or impulse control of someone else, right? It really fires me up when I hear people say, well, why would you wear that or shouldn't wear that? That's not the problem. The problem is we don't know how to deal with sex, right? Because again, what is sexting about? Well, some people use it for sexual exploration. It's how they're practicing or learning about what turns them on. Sexting is also a normalized, very common form of courtship and flirting. It's part of how we engage. It's also, for many, very bonding and intimacy building. There's a vulnerability in that. It's an attempt to connect erotically, to explore, to flirt, to build intimacy. For some people, it's their entire sex life. We forget not everyone's able-bodied. Not everyone has access to the gender that they're attracted to or the kinds of sex life to have. For some people, their whole sex life or romantic life or even social life takes place online, and I'm glad that they have that. And so for some people, it's just about sexting. For some people, that's all they want is to be seen in that way. If you have a very exploited, marginalized body, A black body, a fat body, a disabled body, a queer body can be very healing and empowering to have that eroticized and desired and to send that off to someone and to feel in control or wanted or attractive. I value that. I validate that. I support clients in stepping into that, right? It can help us build our sexual and body confidence when done with the right people in a safe way. And we'll talk about what that means in the next segment. You know what I mean? That can be some part, that can be a part of some people's psychological healing, not hiding their body, the body that the world's told them they should be ashamed of because of body hair or body size or scars or ability or, or, you know, disability or whatever we're talking about. Exposure is how a lot of people work through that shame. I won't carry someone else's shame by hiding a body that they think I don't have a right to expose. I'll expose it because I'm okay with it and I'll let them quietly, silently deal with what they have to see. A hundred percent. We're not hiding ourselves anymore for the comfort of others. We're, we're forcing others to learn how to be, settle themselves down and engage us more lovingly, right? We're not carrying someone else's shame like that anymore. Um, all right, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to keep talking about sexting. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris on the new channel Q and on Odyssey. 
All right, we're back and uh, spending the night talking about sexting. I love this topic. I think it's really um, an important one because it's a normal part of life. Parents, whether you like it or not, educators, we got to talk about it. How do you sext safely? How do you encounter that kind of eroticism? How do you encounter bodies and eroticism in general? Right? We have to be able and willing to do that kind of work. Uh, as we're talking about, sexting is a normal part of courtship now. For many, it's exp exploration. It's a form of flirting. For some, it's used to build intimacy and bonding to show that much of themselves to give someone that. Um, for some, it's the totality of their sex life or it's the only way they can have a sex life because their partner is not nearby. Um, they're not in a committed relationship. They don't have access to people. Remember, technology allows us to engage others from around the world. I'm thankful for that. For some, it helps them build sexual and body confidence because they have a body or some element that they've been told by the world they should have shame around because of body shape or size or color or ability or body hair or scars or acne, right? We shame so much of that or the an aging body. All these bodies being able to be shown and shown expressing pleasure and eroticism is very radical. It's very revolutionary. It's very healing for that person. Totally. For some, it's self-expression. For some of them, there's a, an artistic component to it. And for others, it's empowering, you know, especially for women who are shamed and aren't supposed to have an assertive sexuality. Or like I said, someone who's of a minority body or someone fat, to have an assertive, empowered sexuality is really radical and healing. But we do want to know that there's a safer, more thoughtful way to participate in that because we are at the mercy of the mental health and the ethics of others, right? So do think about that. How safe is this person you're engaging with? How much do you trust them? How would you feel if these photos were shown or exposed? We do have to think about that, unfortunately. I wish the onus was on the receiver to have better ethics, but the sender does have to consider those things. Uh, maybe don't show your face. I recommend that all the time. Don't have your face available in a photo, you know? Um, maybe be thoughtful about not letting identifying things be seen in the photos as well, you know? Also, ethical sexting is you delete the photos after the person who sent them is no longer in your life or the purpose of them being sent has expired. If someone's meant meaning just to sext you in the moment and you're never going to talk to them again, you should delete them after your conversation. If you're no longer dating someone, you should delete them. If you're no longer dating someone or the sexting scenario is over, you should, as the sender, say to that person, I recommend, could you please delete those now? And then you have that imprint on your phone. Because we're working on getting better blaming the misuser. We now have revenge porn laws. Most states now have them. And that means that if someone posts, sends around to someone else, or even shows someone else erotic photos that they've been sent, that there is a fine and jail time. And that's a good thing. So you can be a part of that by saying, hey, I'd like you to now delete those photos. And add to that, I do not give you permission to share those or send those. You don't even need to say that, just so you know. You don't even need to say any of that, but it's good to remind people that don't know. And for the people that have them, please know, if someone sends you nude photos, that does not give you ownership. Someone sending you photos is not the transfer of ownership. You cannot say, well, they're mine now. You sent them to me. I can do what I want. That's not legally true. You need explicit express permission to then have ownership or to post them. So if someone sends you photos and you show someone or post them or share them, you've broken the law unless the person's giving you permission. And I ask the sender to remind them by saying, please delete them, I don't give you permission. And then if they do, you'll know who it is and they can get fined or jail time for misusing them under revenge porn laws. And that's important. We're blaming the misuser, not the sender. And that's how it should be. You've done nothing wrong. You trusted someone. You engage in the kind of sexuality that makes sense to you. That's being sex positive and body positive. And the receivers honor that. The, we've had sex with these photos, get rid of them. We're not dating anymore, delete them. That was for you and you only. Have ethics. Be better than that. But we're also learning about people. You know, how I, I love this question. Finding about people's prior relationships helps, helps us understand what might happen with us or what's possible for us or with us, right? So we're holding people accountable to be better. Sex is something that shouldn't, as I've said a thousand times, have a negative impact on you or make your life harder or worse. It should be something that's brought in as a gift, something that's beneficial, something that's fun. It shouldn't be something that harms us, but we culturally don't know how to manage it. We don't know how to see someone's cleavage without losing our minds. We don't know how to know that someone's engaging in adult content. It's quite wild. I even see partners do that. They'll find out more about the kind of porn a partner looks at or enjoys 
and they feel so threatened or upset by it. We have to have a more mature attitude around these things. Sexuality is everywhere. It's everything. Sexuality is what we wear for the day. Sexuality is how we look at people, how we don't look at people, how close we stand, how we walk, how we want to be seen, what parts of our bodies we have shown or not shown, even while fully clothed. Sexuality is things we're thinking throughout the day. Sexuality is us being oriented and, and noticing attractive people and things moving around in our day. I mean, someone might be literally having sex behind you in line by sexting on their phone at a coffee shop or in the corner of the coffee shop sitting at their table privately. You never know. It's everywhere. It's everything. We're constantly aroused by things. We have to learn how to swim in that, be in that, and know that there's nothing that needs to be done, that we can have boundaries and impulse control. We can go home and use that privately, right? But the work is about getting better with it, not shaming it, not shutting it down, not pathologizing it. Uh, we're going to take a little break, and uh, when we come back... We're going to be gliding into those DMs. You're listening to Loveline with Dr. Chris. Loveline is brought to you by Astroglide, personal lubricants and massage oils for everyone. We'll be back. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all righty we are back and now it's time to glide into those dms gliding into the dms this one says hey dr chris i'm going through a breakup i was wondering if there's any self-help or self-care exercises you recommend doing. I don't mind going alone, but it beats sitting in my house alone. Well, funny you should ask, we spent Monday show, so go to wearechannelq.com, go back and listen to Monday show. We talked exclusively about that, uh, breaking up with someone, getting broken up with. And your question is any self-help or self-care exercises I recommend uh, help you go through a breakup? Well, let's kind of recap briefly. Um, you definitely want to allow the psychological and emotional separation, right? Because we tend to allow the physical separation, but we keep creeping on their IG. We keep talking about them, thinking about them. That doesn't allow the psychological, emotional separation. Um, so that's number one. Number two, go do some new novel things. That's part of the beauty of being out of a relationship is now that all of our time is all ours. All of our finances are all ours. What are the things that maybe you, you weren't doing? But more importantly, step into some new novel things. There's something, there's something really empowering and transformative about stepping into newness and widening our world. So step back out into the world fully, but reconnect with some friends. We tend to prioritize our romantic partner and that's the person we usually go to first. But jump right back in your friendships. Who are the people you've wanted to get closer to? Who are the people that have drifted? And stay close. Commit to not drifting again, maybe if you get back into a relationship. But that's really the work of walking away from a relationship is reorienting ourselves now as a single person moving through the world without this promised plus one, right? So new things, keep getting back out into the world, tons of self-care, 
focus on the things that give you joy and pleasure, focus on rest because we truly are healing, right? But continue to participate in the world, but step into newness, you know, new environments where you can continue to meet new people. Feel free to go back on dating apps, you know, be reminded that you are desirable and dateable because that's something that can kind of lack or, or, you know, drop down when these things kind of shift and change. And also hold space for this person, maybe still being, you know, a friend or participant in your life. But the work is really about now that I maybe have more time and more resources and more finances, what are the things that I've been missing? That's really what the work is about, you know, just letting, you know, time take its course. But what you do in that time is what's going to be meaningful. So step into that. I mean, the question was kind of broad. My answer is kind of broad. But uh, like I said, Monday's show of this week, we really focused more on that. Um, we all have to get better about it, though, I think. I think transitioning out of a relationship with someone, right? What we formerly called breaking up <laughs> is about change, as we said, in identity and uh, having a partner always there that we can count on, right? And the things that we did together. And so we change, be open to that change, find value in that. Like, who am I going to be now? I won't be who I was before. I'm different. I'm going to step out into the world differently. But look back at who you were as a partner and say, again, who I want to be self-reflective. Who was I that I want to be again and who was it that I don't want to be again? You know, what worked and what didn't work? Who have I evolved into? So take some time and just journal. Take some time and speak with yourself. Take some time and reflect back on the relationship and what you've learned from it. I think that's the most valuable part about leaving that kind of relationship is learning about yourself, right? Learning about the world. And then looking forward, setting some goals, deciding how you want the next month or year of your life to be. And moving into that, you know, now I have more time and energy. But also consider get back, getting back out into dating. That's how we continue to learn a lot about ourselves, you know. It's a big old wide world out there. So um, get back into being a part of it. It's difficult. Um, that's what's so hard about a breakup. It's literally a physical, psychological removal. It's a social removal. It's an identity removal. It's removal of a partner, right, a companion, a, a built-in support, sex, affection, right? It's a lot of lack that it can leave behind, but we don't need to immediately replace that or even at all, right? But we push forward. Um, and so get excited, get curious about what's next. I always like leaning into curiosity when something's lost or removed or there's lack. Getting curious about what can come next doesn't always mean it's better, right? Sometimes things get harder or worse, but stay curious knowing that things always change. That's one thing we can count on, constant change. So whatever's not feeling great now, we know something new's coming. Like I said, not always better, but movement and shift. Be open to that, you know? But self-care is going to really be always the general answer and getting back out there. Um, that is our show. Make sure this weekend you focus on tons of rest, tons of joy and pleasure, tons of self-care. As I said, check out past episodes over at wearechannelq.com. Got a DM for us. Put in the DMs on our Loveline IG page. Y'all be kind to each other. Be kind to yourselves. As always, thanks for hanging out. And y'all enjoy the rest of your night. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates – Price and coverage match limited by state law.